Hello, my beautiful friends. Welcome to the Ascension Vortex, a sanctuary for awakened leaders where you hear activations on mindset, magic, and wealth, plus interviews with incredible thought leaders of our time. I am your host and oracle, Natalie Granja. Today, you are going to learn how to become untouchable, what's stopping you from your next level, and what needs to change. Listen, I know I'm excited about every episode and all of my incredible guests, but I'm telling you, you don't want to miss or skim over this episode. At the end of the recording, Sarah and I were like, uh, we may have to let this energy keep growing and see where this goes because we've got something really good here. It's one of those episodes where I even thought, dang, this could totally be paid for because there was that much value, but you guys are getting it right here. Sarah Riley is an international performance coach for leaders, entrepreneurs, and visionaries. The foundation of her work lies in decoding, unpacking subconscious programming, and recoding, rebuilding your desired identity to teach previously unattainable levels of success. She supports her clients in achieving a cooperative and empowered nervous system so that they can overcome fears and blocks and redefine success their way. More info at sarahreillycoaching.com. As always, you can go into the show notes to find more information about me, your host, and of course, our beautiful guest for today. Okay, so let's just jump right in. Where? Are, let's start off with, um, where are you located right now? Okay, right now I am in Sydney, Australia. I was born here, but raised in New Zealand. So that's why the accent's a little bit questionable. <laughs> love it. And I love to ask this question. Because I know that when I'm listening to a podcast, I always wonder, like, the astrology of the people who are speaking. So people who are listening, they know I'm a Taurus, but I believe you are an Aquarius, right? I am indeed. And uh, super textbook Aquarius, basically yeah. any definition you find about how we think fast and we're stubborn and we're flighty and we're like thought leaders and visionaries and, you know, top level stuff, but not super into detail and all over the show. It's like, yeah. Basically, you can find any definition of an Aquarian, um, like depending on which astrology page you like. And I'm like, yep, I do all of that. <laughs> I, I feel like I knew that she was an Aquarius by like her dark humor. Like she has like some humor that I'm like, that is witty and a little dark. And <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. We've been in a group boxer for a while. We had like a, a bit of a mastermind going on there for a bit and uh, it got pretty hairy in there, which I appreciated. It gave me a bit of a, an outlet or a platform to let out some of that dark humor you mentioned. And thankfully everyone uh, got it. <laughs> All love it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how Sarah and I know each other. I actually remember uh, being on a zoom call happy hour with you. It was like the first happy hour from the collective. And it was like open invite to the Facebook page. And I remember, like, I remember you there and I remember like seeing your face and I, and then we were put into the group chat, uh, mastermind, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. it was truly a mastermind of other high frequency leaders. And that has been awesome. But my question for you is like, what are you offering the world? Like what, what is your work? Well, it's so funny that you would ask me this now. It's uh, when I was looking at these questions before I, I sort of thought this is the kind of question that moves 
right? This is a very mobile question. This is a very, like, depending on when you get asked, not just like what time in the day, but I mean that too, depending on the day, but like <laughs> when, when in your career, like I've been coaching full-time, I've been in personal development for almost 20 years, but I've been coaching full-time under my own name for like four years now. And the journey has been so it's just morphed so many times. Like when I first got started, I, I specialized in trauma recovery for narcissist, um, narcissistic abuse victims. Um, and then I, for some reason, just started attracting loads of male entrepreneurs who were doing a lot of social enterprise work and sort of community-based work. And so I sort of graduated into more broad spectrum, you know, but still trauma-informed. And now I've spent the last year, and I mean, that's what that mastermind that we were in, like that was where our connections came from. I was working with Lada on my business stuff. And, and it's morphed into teaching people how to become untouchable. And what I like about this word is it's really polarizing. I got such intense feedback when I started telling people that that's what I was teaching people. There was the ones who were triggered around connection were like, this is such a cold word. And the ones that were sort of amped about the idea that they could get beyond the limitations of their mind and their reality were like, oh my God, that's what I've been aiming for. And it was like, there was almost no middle ground. Like maybe a couple people were like, okay. But everyone else was like one end of the spectrum. They were like, no, this is not, this is not good. And other people were like, oh my God, this is what I've been searching for. So that's like, that's what I was kind of excited about is finding something that really polarized and magnetized and repelled at like at that level. Yeah, so. that's, that's interesting because I would have never thought about that being polarizing in that people would have so many different opinions. And now that I'm hearing it, I'm like, oh, of course they will. So I have two questions that come up when I hear this. And that is like, what does untouchable mean to you and your definition of it? Like, how does that look like in your life to be untouchable? Yeah. So I actually have quite a specific definition of this because the way that untouchable as a concept and as a program came up was after a, like, honestly, it was about nine months of deep work um, within a business context, but very like soul level work, very, you know, just, I mean, you've been through it with coaches and stuff. It's like just, just heaving your soul out onto the floor, like catharsis and everything. And it was the point was that I wanted to bring something forward that wasn't just something that could be sold, right? A good coach can sell any process, but it doesn't light you up. It's not exciting. It's not your life's mission. I was like, okay, but what did I learn in the last 20, 30 years, right? That would actually help people. What is, what is the thing that I bring that's different? And when we worked it all out and this, this took a process, like you would think that a branding exercise would be like, you know, a few hours, you pick some colors, you pick some fonts and it's not, it's like drag your soul out with a pitchfork. Why are you on the planet? What do you do that is like specific and relevant to your experiences and your gift set and all that sort of stuff. So for me, untouchable is the result of having three key skills right? Basically you can communicate with and empower your nervous system so that it's on your side, right? So it's actually, rather than being sort of hampered by your own physiology, anxiety, depression, panic attacks, I've been through it all and being able to get your nervous system on side and learn how to communicate with it and start to reimagine and reframe and re-understand the, the signals that it gives you because they're all absolutely golden data, but most people, you know, we live in a society that really pathologizes human feeling, right? If you're feeling anything that prevents you from going to work and being a good little drone, that's wrong. That's bad. Quick, wow. medicate it. 
right? And I've like I've been through blinding, literally blinding anxiety. I used to have panic attacks that where I would collapse and go blind and deaf, right? So I'm not coming at this from a oh yeah, I used to be nervous too. Let's all right. think positive. It's like no, no, I know what it, I know what it's like when your nervous system is trying to survive and you didn't even know you were in threat. Wow. Right. So having your nervous system on board and empowered and in a state where you can communicate with it and make it work for you is like number one. Two, you have redefined success your way. Right. Because the stuff society tells us will make us happy invariably doesn't. Every Everyone who will hear this conversation is like, yeah, I was pretty sure I would feel different once I got a degree or once I bought a house or once I got that relationship or once I finished that qualification or once I got that certificate or once that specific person said they approved of what I was doing. And it didn't, it didn't do it, right? You can't have one definition for like seven, eight billion people and be like, that's going to make me happy. Otherwise, you just waste a lifetime sort of moving towards arbitrary goals, waiting for them to impact your internal sensation. And it's just not how it works, right? So being able to redefine success based on who you are and why you're here, super critical. Oh, my gosh. I know that was a big one. Right. Like for a second there, I was like, even I can feel the power of that. I'm just going to say when you're just like in the flow state and it's just pouring out. I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah. That is so good. And it's like, the, and the, I think the reason I was also kind of feeling that is the group program that I run. We do redefine success your way in module one. And I just like I just started round two of this live program last week. So we just went through this and I was laughing so much with like all the amazing people in this program, because when I first wrote this, I was like, Compared to the other two modules, which are like brutal in the best way, like they are intense, disruptive content, right? Redefining success your way almost feels light. Maybe I shouldn't start with this in case I give them the wrong impression. And then we did like the, the first training, which was like two hours. And it just, people were, yeah, done. At the end of it, they were just like, that. some of them were like uh, laughing hysterically. Some of them were just too shocked to move. Some of them were just like all inspired and hopeful. Some of them were so triggered. They're just like, listen, I'm not going to do any homework. I just need to go and sit with this for a bit. And I was like, yeah, I just, I really forget how, like how powerful it is to take yourself out of, you know, all this, the, the matrix conditioning around what will make you happy. And then just like dump that on someone in like two hours. I'm like, here's everything you need, which is my personal style of learning. And so that's how I teach. I'm like, Someone once told me, they said, you like your information like a fire hose. And I'm like, I do. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry. Okay. So, but anyway, the third one, um, the third one is that you can change your programming at will, right? Because what you can see and the decisions that you can make are limited to what your nervous system will see, right? Literally what it will see. Something I love telling people is that the eyes don't see, the ears don't hear, right? These are globes and these are tubes. And they're just methods of getting electrical data into the brain. But once it's in there, your brain has to filter it to make sure that one, you're getting only the amount that you can handle. And two, you're only getting stuff that doesn't disrupt all of your coping strategies and all the things that you do. So I have no doubt that everyone listening today is like making the best decisions they possibly can with the information that they have every day. But if it isn't resulting in them living all their dreams, it's not about you making the wrong decisions or being bad or being wrong. It's not a character flaw. It's just that you can make a really good dinner from any smorgasbord, but you are limited to what's being served at the smorgasbord, right? So there's only so many variable combinations that you can get. At some point, you have to expand the smorgasbord. You have to expand what the system will take and the data that it's working from. And so we get into that around how programming works, how it went in, how you participate, how you change it, how you separate neural connections, how you relink new neural connections, how you migrate to different identities so that you can have different things because 
your reality is a projection of your perceived identity, which is not a constant, right? It's an adaptation. The one you have now was one, if you haven't done the deep work to change it, you've got the same one that you developed when you were very young and it was designed for a specific environment and a specific audience. And if you haven't made any upgrades, it probably isn't working on the environment that you have now because it you know, wasn't built for that. So those are the three things that make up someone who is untouchable. Basically, their, their nervous system is on their side, empowered, communicative, working for them. They've redefined success their way and they can change their programming at will. If you can do those three things, there isn't anything in the environment and your relationships that can prevent you having being doing whatever you want. So the tagline for this program is that it's not that you, you know, that you don't have humanity or that that is a problem. It's that your humanity and all of the mess and all of the stuff you go through and all of the reactions and all of the trauma and all of the environmental stuff and the political stuff and all this stuff does not actually have to prevent you having everything you want. Sarah Riley, everyone, thanks for coming by. (laughs) (laughs) Goals on out. (laughs) Oh my God. So good. It's so good because these are like three such important pieces, the mm-hmm. nervous system, defining what it is that you actually want, what it means to you so that you don't, you're not just handed a template of like what success is supposed to look like. Mm, cookie cutter, never going to Cookie look. cutter, right. And the reprogramming aspect of like what, like the identity you, you're shifting into. I mean, that is at the core transformation and i'm obviously with all of your experience you know you know that and that's why you are working on those three things but it's it's much simple it's very simple to just like put it put it out like that right Mm -hmm. but i would say that something that i recently experienced with that was the redefining success and the benchmark of like making it what that means and i recently shared with our mastermind group maybe it was like a month, two months ago or something like that, where I was like, I literally was having like an existential crisis because it felt like, okay, I've made it. I've made it quote unquote. And I was like, I I've reached all my income goals. I quantum hit them. I, I have awesome clients. I'm like, I'm moved to this really cool city. I'm with my dog and my partner. And it was just like this overload where my nervous system was like, what's gonna happen this is not real like what's and I would literally wake up with feelings of depression and I had my you know my perspective of depression is a little bit different than like maybe the psychological perspective that we're given you know I think like depression is like I'm needing some deep rest because my nervous system is requiring something but it was feelings of gloom where I was just like what like what's next? Like what's after this? You know, cause I had worked so hard, I would say. And I would say it worked really hard because I wouldn't just hire. Like as soon as I started to hire mentors, it did become easier. I was like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to do. Like it was chunky, but it was like, this is what I'm supposed to do. Whereas the yeah. hard part was like trying to figure everything out on my own and being exhausted by it. So I had finally reached this place of quote unquote success. I mean, I think by most people's definitions, like that's a successful person, but it was like this moment for me where I was like, I have to redefine like these benchmarks internally and not, not so much the, 
the like the material aspect that was a switch for me and you know for someone else it might be different but I think that's huge and and the identity aspect I mean I noticed that so much um you know creating hypnotic tracks for people working with the identity and moving them into the timeline that they want to be in it's uh it's one of those things where I don't think you're really aware of what identity you've been living out of or archetype you've been moving through Yeah, that like it gets you to a point where you're like, wait, why is this not working anymore? Oh yeah. Yeah. When people first find out that like a personality is not a constant and that the voice in their head isn't them, like that's a freaking moment. Like that is a moment when they're like, Oh wait, this is all a construct. I remember having a moment like, halfway through my coaching career where I was sitting at, uh, I was living in Montreal at the time and I was sitting at a kitchen table and I kind of, I just felt like the, the construct that I was running at that time, which was ridiculous. I was, I had like more one-to-one clients than I could count. I was coaching six hours a day, six days a week. I was losing my voice all the time. I was like, it was messed up. And I was able to see it just randomly as a construct. And I sort of pictured it kind of like, you know, those old gaming consoles where you put the big chunky game in, you know, when Uh it's not working, you take it out and like blow on it and stuff Mm -hmm. like those big ones. I could see the whole construct of Sarah as like a gaming cartridge inserted into my back. And I was like, I wonder what happens if I take it out. And so I took it out mentally and I put it on the kitchen table. And I got stuck at the kitchen table because without the gaming cartridge, I couldn't find any of the feelings that would preempt the movement. And I was like, I was sitting there experiencing the fact that I was like, okay, I know that if Sarah was here right now, I know what she'd do. She'd, you know, she's between clients. She'd go and make another cup of coffee. She would get this thing done, you know, in her admin and whatever like that. But because I wasn't her at the time, because she was in that gaming cartridge sitting on the kitchen table, I couldn't move because I was like, I couldn't generate the sensation in the body that would preempt and trigger the movement. I couldn't feel the caffeine craving. I couldn't feel the hunger. I couldn't feel the, 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 that thing that you feel before you go and do something for your business. And so I was like sat at the kitchen table for about 20 minutes until I put the gaming cartridge back in and just resumed that identity. And that little weird experience really stuck with me about just how much they are temporary strategic constructs and they can absolutely be adjusted. Like it just, yeah, I still think about that and smile. I'm like, that that isn't the most like Aquarius out of this world like thing. (laughs) Oh, I just saw myself as a video game and stood at the table for 20 minutes in my mind. Like, yeah, yeah. I just got stuck somewhere because I took out the program that moves my body. I was like, oh, that's awkward. (laughs) Wow. So it, so that kind of brings me to my next question. Like, what are the type of people that you typically work with right now? Um, who are the people that you feel? I mean, it, honestly, it seems like anyone and everyone could benefit from this work. But what lights you up the most right now? Well, yeah, it's funny you should ask that. I find the people that are most attracted to this work is it's not specific to a demographic, like a population area. It's not a specific age group. I've got everyone from 20s to 60s. Um, It's not a gender thing. It's usually very split. I mean, I go through waves, you know, as you do. Sometimes most of your clients are female. Some of the times most of them are men, Um, whatever. Um, But, and it's not even about location, although necessarily many of them come from America just because personal development is a much bigger industry there. Um, it's more about the one thing they have in common is that they're all people that would resonate with the expression, I'm too smart to be this unhappy, right? People that are making incredibly intelligent decisions with the information that they have. And the issue is not that they can't function. They're all highly competent. Some of them are the best in the world at what they do. 
Like some of my clients are like, you know, they have Times Square billboards for fuck's sake, right? But there's something not landing because they're making the best decisions they can, doing what they can. They're, you know, they're on the move. They're doing good things, but it's not going the way they want. It's kind of like a limbo situation. You know, Tony Robbins calls this limbo where your life's not exactly what you want. If you had a magic wand, there is some stuff you would change, but it's not so bad that you have to move, right? Like it's, you know, you're still housed, fed, you know, not in terrible daily pain. You're like, you know, oh, it's not so bad. And then we use what I call pseudo gratitude to keep ourselves <laughs> I should be more grateful for what I already have. And it's like, no, that's, that's, I mean, you by all means be grateful, but that doesn't, you know, prevent you from having more, being more, doing more, or like reaching for your potential, you know? So the people that come to me are usually really smart and they just want to go deeper. They want to know more about, it's like, yeah, okay, I, I know what my brain's doing. I know what my body's doing, but why and how do I adjust it? Does that make sense? Yes. So I, I really like that limbo term because I find the type of people who are in that space, it's almost, if you don't have the conscious awareness, one of the hardest places to be stuck because oh, yeah. you're like, well, it's not broken. Like it's working. It's yeah, it's like I'm doing pretty good. I should be more grateful. Like compared to other people, like not everyone else can, you know, make this kind of money, work from home, all the rest of it. But it's, it's I mean, it depends who you're comparing yourself to. We can always make it look whichever way allows us to sit in our fear and play it safe, right? But ultimately, if there's a part of you that knows, yeah, I'm doing better compared to X, Y, and Z, but compared to my own potential, I'm not. Right. And you, you got to get honest with yourself at some point and be like, okay, but is this all I can do? And if I did, um, God forbid, get hit by a car next week and it, and it all like, that's it. Mm-hmm. Would I be happy with what I had done? And I know that's like really morbid, but sometimes just reminding myself that I'm not here forever and that none of this is promised. And yeah. that even though I, I, you know, statistically I've probably got another 40 years, I'm nearly 40 and you know, we're supposed to last roughly until 80. If you get a good life, right. Statistically in the Western world, we get about 80. Um, but for a third of that, I'll be asleep. Right. And for some of that, I'll probably have food poisoning, right? Like it's, you know, like you don't, it's not like you have 40 years to go and you've got 24 hours a day for the next 40 years. No, for much of that, I'll be asleep. For some of it, I'll be tired. For some of it, I'll be sick. For some of it, I'll be watching Netflix. So in the few hours I have left, what am I going to do? And if I could make everything that I want to do easier, faster, faster, and more automatic, if I could change my system so that my system defaults to what I want to do rather than defaulting to Netflix and fear and procrastination and imposter syndrome, right? Your subconscious controls 95% of your day. If you don't make the upgrades on the inside, you're working against an impossible cliff face, right? The bottom line is the subconscious is going to win because the pro it believes that it's programming is the only thing keeping you alive. So controlling 95% of your day intentionally to keep you alive, that's going to win. This is why people try to get on a bandwagon without shifting the core programming and it doesn't work. You try to go to the gym when you know of yourself as an overweight person or an unfit person or a person with health problems. You might be able to make yourself go with discipline, commitment, willpower. You probably have all those things, but those aren't sustainable, right? If you change your core programming, so that's just what you do, you don't have to use willpower anymore. And then it's not a case of making yourself do anything. And I mean, even that statement is terrifying for people though, because then they're like, well, I only know of myself as someone who has struggles and makes themselves do the right thing. 
cool, let's change that program while we're in there. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, are you familiar? I feel like you have to be familiar with the book Psycho Cybernetics. I am not, but it sounds amazing. Tell me what? Oh my God. Okay. I put everyone onto this book. Uh, Like anyone that will listen to me, I feel like you've probably heard it around the way, but it's essentially, um, he was a plastic surgeon Mm -hmm. and, um, he would notice that someone might get a nose job, bigger boobs, smaller, this remove the mole, whatever. And they would, by many people's standards, become, quote unquote, more attractive. Yet the patient would still identify as the version of them with the extra weight, with the mole, with the whatever, before they were getting their procedure. And he started to like, not understand. He's like, everyone is giving them the the feedback that they look different and that Mm -hmm you know, by that standard at the time, they're more attractive, but they were still identifying. And then he would realize like there's something in the unconscious mind, their identity is still identifying as poor or overweight or the person who can't do it as a failure. So I absolutely um, love this. And uh, there's so many questions, so many questions to ask here, but I would say, like what got you into this work specifically? Well, I mean, people often ask me why I became a coach. And my answer is like, well, pretty much the same reason almost anyone becomes a coach, right? You have a crap childhood and you learn how to get past it. And then you're like, cool, other people don't have to suffer either. And I can like teach them what I did, right? That's sort of the generic. You, you, you know, you're, you're in pain. You learn a bunch of stuff that works, changes things, whatever, it's got your flavor, your spin on it, right? Because it's come from your experience. It's the thing you were supposed to bring to the world and then you bring it forth. But like just from that, that's where I ended up doing sort of generic broad spectrum coaching, right? Like I could get anyone to anything and that's cool, but it's hard for people to understand. So I always had plenty of clients because I didn't sell, I just demonstrated. People would come onto a discovery call and we would go in to the, to the mind and have a good like dig around and show them some stuff. And they would be so blown away that they would sign up and then they would just always roll over their contract. I had like my contract rollover rates over 90% out of like for the hundreds of people I've coached over the last four years, I can count on one hand, the people that didn't roll over a contract. So wow, like, yeah. So it's like, that's why it was all stable. But then when it, when I decided to start changing and scaling my business, I was like, okay, but what more specifically what more specifically, right? Like you say, what got you into this business? And I'm like, yeah, it is more than that. It is more than just, well, you know, stuff was crap growing up and I had to learn how to get past it. It was like, okay, but once you get past it, right? Like the world doesn't stop being crazy and unsafe and like chaotic and all the rest of it, right? So anytime someone is dependent on outside circumstances for their comfort or happiness, they're fucked like sorry but like that's I mean that's it as long as you're at the mercy of your environment you're stuck in this sort of victimized position where you're kind of hoping it's a good day you're hoping your candidate gets in you're hoping that person likes you and living like this has you in this state of like it's like perma anxiety right because your system is dosing a certain amount of cortisol all the time because you are in some ways at some level under threat all the time if your system knows that your safety and your comfort is dependent on things that you inherently know don't like you don't control 
then that's like, oh my God, like how exhausted are we when we're inflamed from stress hormones? How, like when we're running these programs that work against us all the time, I mean, I don't think that anyone is naturally unmotivated or lazy or has all of these character flaws necessarily. I just think they have no idea how much they need and are not getting. Why? Wow. Right? And so when it, yeah, when it's like that, that's more of like where I came from. Like I came from in my childhood, a lot of abuse, a lot of neglect. And I just never got a chance to know what I, cause you know, people would say, well, what was done to you? And it's like, yeah, plenty was done to me, but more damaging was all the stuff that wasn't done. Mm. Right. Uh, safe home, um, uh, human contact, you know, all that stuff. And we don't realize how much we need and that we're not getting until we can see this stuff clearly, right? So actually digging in, looking at the coding, looking at the programming and really expanding your understanding of your requirements. Like how many women do you know that think that because they got a massage this week, they should be fine? <laughs> oh yeah, that's a, that's a good one, right? Like how many, I speak to so many like of my friends and stuff who aren't clients and it's so hard for me not to go off on a coaching group about this, right? That they're not clients. And I say to them, you know, they would tell me how their system is breaking down and I would, I can't help myself. I have to say, okay, but how are you taking care of yourself? And they're like, oh no, I gave up one of my shifts last week so that I could have a sleep in. And I'm like, oh, I'm so stoked for you. That will easily fix the last 20 years of self-neglect, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> it's just like, there's more, like my message is there's more to it. And if you could just see it, the whole, like all the choices you would make, the stuff you would get, the person you would be, it would all shift in your favor, right? So yeah, I don't know. There was a bit of a tangent, but that's just what came through. So oh, it's, it's a great one though. So what would you say in your experience is, one of the biggest program you see running in the people that you work with? Yeah, there's, there's a few of those. Um, Biggest one. That's such a good question. Um, It'll be okay. So when we're young, right? Like super young, when we're making all of this programming, one of the most annoying things I have to tell people is that almost all of that, beginner programming is, is wrong. Like it, it is objectively wrong. And the reason it's wrong is because it was made up in the mind of a child who doesn't have frontal lobe development, doesn't have full-blown empathy and can only at that point witness the world through the lens of their own understanding of their own psyche, right? Like they're not. So basically people do stuff around us and our survival system is trying to figure out what do I do to stay safe? So all of the programming starts with the word I, right? Because it's not like a, a two or three-year-old is not going to know, well, of course, dad's snappy today. He just got fired. Mum's on his case about, you know, how we're going to, like, no, the kid is going to learn I, because it doesn't have that understanding of another psyche with another, you know, th- that empathic ability to like, what are they feeling and why that's separate to me? Because the survival system is like, what do I have to make sure I never do again to not feel this pain, right? And so it's like anything that starts with, I can't, right? I can't express my feelings. I can't ask for what I want. I can't speak up. I can't connect to this person. I, you know, anything that starts with I is probably going to be wrong because I mean, you made up this rule about what you can and can't do based on what someone else was doing, which had nothing to do with you.
right? So the programs I see running are these arbitrary statements. I mean, the way you see these expressed as well, and, you know, sort of like the really surface level, like when we get to the top of the tree, like ideal, I don't do branches, I don't do beliefs, because like a coach can charge you for years just trying to shift beliefs. And it's like, right, but those beliefs exist for a reason, right? Those are strategic. Those are the branches that, that protect everything above it. What I want to work at is the roots, like under the tree trunk, like what is the actual coding that these protect? And these stories sort of come up like, well, I'm just the type of person who, and I was like, no, you're not. That's not a thing. I'm just like, the type of person that this, I'm just the type of person. And I'm like, oh, there's a whole unexplored. Yeah. 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 That's like the surface level. Like that's like the highest, like the most sort of superficial. I'm just the type of person too. Yeah. Well, I just don't like, and it's like, cool, but you didn't come out of the womb, not liking it. Where did you learn? It was bad. What, and, and let's get really suspicious about what your system gains from having that be classified as bad in your mind. Right. Like I, people often say, Oh, you're a life coach. So does that mean you just tell people how to live a good life? And I'm like, I don't tell people what to do at all. People come to me and they say, I want this. And I say, cool, let's dig into all the programming and stuff that's preventing you having it. I don't mind what you want. Some people come to me for really deep stuff. Like I have PTSD from my childhood and we need to get this stuff out because I can't function. People have come to me in the past and said, listen, I've only got two goals in my whole life. I just want to lose weight and finish my book. That's all I want. I'll book you for three months. All I want to do is be smaller and get this book to a publisher. And like, we do it. Like it doesn't, I don't have a judgment on what you want. You just bring it and I'll be like, cool, let's do that then. And sometimes it changes halfway through, obviously. So, right. That that's a really good point. So it's like the goal doesn't necessarily matter because the process to programming and understanding why you haven't achieved that goal is the same. Yeah. Basically, if you want a reality that's different from the one you have now, then, well, everything in your projected matrix is just a reflection. So we would go and have a look at, like, you, you know, you can't look in the mirror and be mad that your reflection doesn't have makeup on, right? It's like, right, you're like, okay, if I go and put makeup on, then my reflection will have it. It's the same with your projected reality. Not only are you impacting the atomic activity around you, so it's bending to your frequency anyway, but then your brain is filtering it by your beliefs to make sure it doesn't disrupt anything. So if you want it to stop doing that or do that in your favor or shift, you've got to go in. It's like, if we were in a movie theater and you didn't like the movie that was playing, you wouldn't whip out a bucket of white paint and start rollering over the fabric screen at the front of the room, right? Because you know that's not where the image is coming from. Mm. You would go into the back room and you would change the reel so that you see something different projected. Same with shifting the reality. I mean, I make no judgment on what people want. Have anything you want. But if you would like to, it's like, this is the cool thing about coaching, right? This is, this is the world that we live in now. You can hire someone to adjust the reality you project the same way you can hire an electrician to fix your wiring or a plumber to unclog your toilet, right? It's just a service. We have enough information about how the mind works and how frequency works and how all this stuff works that if you want a different reality, you hire someone that you vibe with to help shift you so that you get it. It's so funny to me when people say, oh, I'm going to do the mindset work later. It's just, I already know what I need to do. I've just got a bunch of stuff I got to do first. Right? Do you love that? As I see you shaking your head, you're Crazy. just like, oh, yeah, you're just like, not put all of that in the bin. Yeah, it's just, it's so funny to me because I'm like, okay, first of all, if you were able to make those moves from the current mindset, you would have done it already. We wouldn't be talking about it, right? And secondly, the decisions that you make are come from the beliefs, the programming, and what your brain will let you see. So basically, you're just going to keep repeating the past until you shift those. So this whole, well, I need to do a bunch of stuff first, and then I'll change it. It's like, so you're going to stay where you're at, making the same 
decisions from the same limited info rather than just shifting, like take putting a new reel on and watching a new movie play. Yeah, it's like there's that quote that's um, like you can't expect a different re. No, what is it? It's like you can't um, you can't find a solution from the same level of consciousness that created yeah. the problem or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, basically from the yeah the mindset that that views the problem and has that particular construct. It's like yeah, you're going to get more of the same. This is why people's lives sort of get slow incremental change. Right. Because you can have your, your nervous system will let you have variations on what it has already approved with a bit of nervousness. Right. You might get the exhilaration when you get your 10 percent pay rise and stuff like that. But nobody actually wants that. They want quantum leaps. They want to like bend the job they hate and make a million dollars only doing stuff they feel like. And it's like, cool. But if your current projected reality isn't that we know your nervous system can't hold that yet. So you would ha- you're going to have to make the adjustment on the inside and like, yeah, sure. Some of it's uncomfortable and you're probably going to cry and parts of you might shake and, you know, catharsis feels kind of nauseating, but it won't hurt you. But if you're the type of person, and actually this is the type of person that I, that I notice comes to me all the time. They're the people who are happy to go short-term pain for long-term gain. They're like, I will be uncomfortable with you for an hour. I will be triggered and angry and upset and I will have the cry if it means that I quantum leap my income and I can quit the stupid job and I publish my novel and I finally lose weight and all that. I will have the, it's, I kind of liken it to tattooing as well. It's like, it's going to hurt for a few hours. It's going to hurt for a few hours, but then you will have this phenomenal piece of artwork and you will be so amped with what your body looks like afterwards. Totally. Yeah. It's people who are, this is what I call like in my, my world, my language, like you are so dedicated to your most abundant timeline. Like, you know, and believe that in that possibility that you're willing to do the work to get there versus yeah. people who are like, I just want to like, like quantum leap. <laughs> it's like, yeah. but are you willing to like understand why you're not already there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And do you know, you just made me laugh so hard because I actually had one client, only one out of all the hundreds of people I've coached, thank God, like one slipped through the, (laughs) slipped through the filter at the start. And uh, they were like, "Um, look, I want my entire life to be different, completely different from how it is now, but I don't want to do anything different during the day. And I don't want to feel anything. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, "Uh, you literally live inside a threat detector if you change anything, you're going to feel it. That's not the issue. The issue is if you honestly think that comfort is the goal, right? Numbness is the goal. If you think you're not supposed to be feeling your body at any point, then you're just, you're committed to existing and not living. The bottom line is when you start living, you're going to feel it and you're supposed to feel it. Right. Mm. I just, yeah, I couldn't believe that. I was like, ah, uh, shit (laughs) that's deep because it's like well why is numbness your like end result why is that the goal yeah where did we learn that basically what we call comfort but is essentially numbness right why where did we learn that that's the desired state where did we learn that that's how we should be feeling and that when we feel anything else that's a problem Mm. so what brought you to like this type of work what life events paved the way to find this yeah so when i like i quit my job i had a 10-year corporate career in risk management i made it all the way to the top of my industry i had all of the the things i had the degree and the postgrad and the corner office and the executive position and all that sort of stuff and i was like i had done everything they said would make me feel happy and safe 
and I was the most depressed I've ever been. I was drinking on weeknights. I was crying in the shower in the morning. I was dosing so much cortisol that my skin had thinned and it wouldn't heal from my stress acne. So I would get out of the shower in the morning and there'd be blood running down my face. Like I was 30 years old and there were holes in my face. Like it was horrific. So like, I would love to tell you that I was just super brave. And the minute I felt the the soul nudge to say, Hey, you don't like being here. I just leapt and trusted the safety. I did fucking not like I got CPTSD. I absolutely did not do that. And I grew up really poor. So I was not able to drop that. But what happened was um, I was on a flight to a meeting and I was like absentmindedly like sort of just touching my neck. Um, I don't know why. And I felt this lump and I went and got it checked out. And that was my first tumor. I've got three now, but like, that was my first tumor. And there was like something switched in my head where it was, I have this little card on my, on my website that says what my brain said in that moment was you're wasting your life doing shit you hate. And it game over, game over. Like, this is it. Like, I didn't know if it was cancer and I didn't know if it was going to kill me. And I knew that it was like, you know, it's not like that's definitely going to be it. But when you find a big enough lump in a small enough place that it is sticking out of your body, right? In a place that like the throat's pretty important. I need this to breathe, right? There's like a, there's like a moment there where it's like, it was just, I think Oprah calls it pebble brick truck, right? I had had pebbles all day long. Like I'd hated this job for years, right? But you know, you, but like most people think it doesn't, it's not about liking your job. You got to go because that's how you make money, right? None of that stuff's objectively true, but it, you know, that's the, it's that's good the enough. It, yeah. I, that's the collective understanding. <laughs> right. Like you have to do that to get the money. That's what we grow up learning. Right. And it feels very true because we've said it so many times that it's cemented in the system. Right. So it was like, I, I, it, it, it flipped this switch and all of a sudden it was like, okay, you, you were pretty sure that you needed all this money to survive, but if you're dead in six months, what does it matter? And if you didn't, like, I did a lot of cool stuff. I got, you know, I got degrees. I traveled. I, I flew a stunt plane once. Someone let me in the front of their two-seater stunt plane and gave me the controls. Oh, like, my gosh. Yeah, and just yelled instructions at me through a headset, and I looped and barrel rolled and did figure eights, and we stalled the engine, and, like, it was, like, I've done some cool stuff. Have I done anything that's on my real bucket list? no right we fill our lives with stuff that we think will make us happy but it was my real bucket list in my head was I had a novel that I wanted to write wanted to learn some languages and if I was being honest like I don't know if I could have even pulled this out but like it was still such a pipe dream it was such a pipe dream that I thought it was as impossible as me mentally making my skin purple right like but to become a life coach I've been wanting to, I've been like binge watching Tony Robbins videos and studying everything to do with psychology since I was 18. Like that's where I was every Sunday, like just outside of doing my degree. Cause otherwise when I was doing my degree, I was studying all the shit I had to pass exams in, but it, yeah, I was, I would literally be sitting there in a dressing gown with a huge pot of tea, just binge watching videos of people changing other people mentally. Right. Like that was my thing, but I still thought it was completely impossible. And I still had all the same stories at the top level that everybody has. Right. But I've never run a business before. And where would I even find clients and all of this stuff. Right. And all of those sounded so true. It's like, nobody likes me and I'm not compassionate enough. And you know, like all of this, you know, I'm not good enough for this. No one would trust me. Who would send me money? How does that even work? I don't, I can't work my PayPal, like just all of the <laughs> stuff, right. All of the stuff. And then I went to right after, but I quit my job, obviously, because I was like, oh, I might be dying. And I would literally, I like at this point, 
I can't risk doing any more. So I, I gave him, you know, I handed him my notice, uh, quit my career, ended my relationship, packed a bag, sold all my belongings right down to my clothes and my snowboard. And the day after I um, quit my job, I saw an advert on Facebook for a book writing retreat. And you know how I told you on my real bucket list was I'd had this story in the back of my head that I wanted to write and publish. And I had never been able to do it. I'd never been able to write more than, I think I'd written 11 pages and that was all I could get out. I couldn't even, like I couldn't even make myself open the word file. That's where I was at. And it was with Mastin Kip, you know, the inventor of functional life coaching and trauma hacker. Mm -hmm. And they were like, finally come to this webinar on how to finally write your book. And I was like, that's very serendipitous. Like like the first time in my life when I've got, you know, the time to actually do this. Interesting. So I go to the webinar and he, you know, gave us all this great info on how to write your book, you know, write every day, do all this stuff. And I was like, yeah, this is all the right stuff, but I'm not going to do any of it. If I was, I would have done it ages ago. Right. And at the end he goes, and if you're actually serious about finishing it, you should come to Bali in October um, because I'm going to be there writing my next book, um, which was Claim Your Power, the one that has been like a bestseller. Um, and he goes, I'm going to be there writing for 30 days. We're bringing a bunch of writing teachers and we're basically going to make a retreat out of it. You've got a hotel room to yourself. You will write every day. Uh, I think it's like three, 4,000 words a day. And you will, you have to put your um, word target on a whiteboard in the lobby so that everyone can see whether or not you're slacking. And if you don't hit your word target, you don't get to go on the excursions on Sunday. So this is like military, like you wow. <laughs> a book in under 30 days, right? You will finish a 50,000 word novel or screenplay or whatever it is you're trying to write in this one month. And it was like, I had never invested in myself before. I mean, I had had a Tony Robbins coach a couple of years prior, but it was on a really slow sort of drip payment plan. And so I hadn't been forced to really bank on myself. And this was when translated back into New Zealand dollars, it was the size of a house deposit. Yeah. And I was like, I had never done this before. And I remember I took one of my contractors to breakfast um, on the company credit card. Actually, that still makes me smile that I did that. Um, and I took them to breakfast and I said, listen, I'm quitting my job because I might be dying. And this is what like the top of my bucket list item, but it's this much money. What do you think I should do? And she put her knife and fork down. I still remember she was eating eggs Benedict and she put her knife and fork down and she goes, what the hell are you doing asking me about this? This is your freaking drip. Call that woman back and sign up right now. And I was like, oh my God, you're so right. And so I did it and like went to Bali and I, did, I, I actually wrote the entire novel in 12 days. Oh, and, is it yeah. Alice? Uh, yeah, Alice was one of the writing teachers. She wasn't mine, but she yeah. was one of them. Um, yeah, I was working with Pat Viducci, who is unbelievable. She's a story consultant and she's just incredible. And Alice is obviously top of the line as well. Um, but yeah, that's where I met Alice. And but it ended up being, yeah, it was a writer's retreat, but it was a right. But the whole the point of writing the book was to prove that you could do a thing that your system hadn't let you do. And we were given intensive amounts of personal development. Like these were five to eight hour seminars twice a week. And these were interventions. We were being broken down. Like I remember at one point we went through a process where my body screamed things I didn't even know I believed. And then I collapsed like it was in intensive and I remember being in one of the meditative processes and I'm finally getting to you to answer your question <laughs> I was in one of the meditative processes and suddenly that piece of coding the, like the tr tree trunk came out and it was like when you try to help people uh they hurt themselves and then they blame you that's what I learned growing up because I had always like I was the parent growing up and I had always tried to help and save everyone around me and all that had happened because they were quite severely disordered is that they would 
put themselves in hospital, get into the knife drawer, you know, just do take it as far as it could go and then blame me as a child. It's your fault. You should have given me the pills. You shouldn't have hidden those. You should have gotten out of my way. You should have done this. You should have been a better kid. You shouldn't have like whatever. And what I had learned was that helping people is the most painful thing you can ever do in your life. And it is, it will kill you. And so all those stories I had, all those superficial beliefs, all those branches, I don't know how to run a business and how would I even receive payment? And where do you find clients? And I've never done this before. When I realized that all of those were branches off of this tree and I realized I remembered when I learned middle of the night on the couch with a drunk parent, like I learned this is like my subconscious said it to me. I heard the voice in my head say, this is what we know. And I was like, wait, that's not true though. That's what I learned about that parent. That's not independently true. And when I realized that all of those other beliefs melted away because they were all powered by that tree trunk, that was their food source. And I was like, oh, oh, all of that was crap. No, I can. Oh. And then I got up and I walked back to my hotel room and I registered for my North American qualification as a coach. And I started my business a couple months later and we made money from the very first month. And I have been, I have been either fully booked or overbooked since, and it's been four years now. That's phenomenal. I love this. Well, okay. So what did you have to give yourself permission to do, feel, be, and finally like in that shift of like, oh shit, this is a program. And now I'm going to go actually, you know, accelerate in your timeline. What was that permission you gave yourself to be, feel, or do? It's probably to do what I know is true and honest and right for me, even though it doesn't make a lot of sense on the outside and other people don't get it, right? I was in a relationship at the time where the guy, he did not get it and he did not approve of it. And it was like, he really just crapped on it every chance he could get. And it was hard. And also none of, you know, from where I'm from, there's no big life coaching industry in small rural towns in New Zealand, right? Like, so this is like the people that I grew up with didn't get it. Um, it, yeah, it was just to follow. I mean, I know it sounds trite to say to follow that inner knowing, right. But when you know like that something is true for you and you need to do this, it's, it's easy. Obviously everything in the world is easier said than done, but like I had to give myself permission to trust my judgment, even if nobody else got it you know, to do it anyway, even though I was terrified that I would upset people, you know, still heavily codependent from the, from the abuse growing up, even though I was going to upset people and there was a risk that people might yell at me. And, you know, the work I do is, I mean, coaching is sustained control triggering. So if you're going to, if you're someone who's codependent, you're going to go into, into an industry where you trigger people and you have to put aside your desire for being liked and your, your own popularity in service to their growth, like giving myself permission to be snapped at, disliked, right? Like there's part of coaching is occasionally you get told to fuck off, right? Like you're going to say stuff that people's systems are really threatened by, but you need to get it out because that's the stuff that is going to change everything for them. And that's what they've paid you for. Wow. If you could go back 10 years, what piece of advice would you give that version of yourself? Oh man all of my answers to this are so depressing <laughs> because uh, I was, I was in such a state like the, the self-loathing was through the roof, like the, the pain, the depression, the anxiety, it was all like, sometimes I think about this and I was like, man, I just, I wish I knew that I just, I wasn't that bad. 
I wasn't that ugly. I wasn't that completely unlovable. I wasn't that awful. Like that's what I, that's what was repeated all the time growing up. Like you're just awful. Right. And I just, I wish I could just like shake her and be like, you're actually not a terrible person. Like there's no malice in you. You're not too hideous to be looked at. You're not like, this is a really depressing answer. But honestly, if I had tried to tell her anything beyond that, I don't think she would have got it. I would have had to start at the base level of you're just not a shit human being. Like that's where I would have to start with her. Honestly, if I go back 10 years back into my twenties, yeah, that's where I'd have to start. That's not, that's not very motivational, but that's the true answer. Well, you know what? I'm sure a lot of people could uh, relate to that. I hope so. I hope someone got something out of it. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, I was just speaking to someone about this. Um, We were on a call and she was mentoring me on something. She's like, how does that feel? And I'm like, I'm aware of all the stories that want to come up. I'm aware of the voice that wants to like speak and, and, you know, kind of just be ingrained here and, and tell me every reason as to why this isn't like for me. And, you know, she replied, she was just like, and, and, oh no. And I said, I feel like when it comes to this certain topic that we were talking about, I was like, I feel like I'm a second grader in the world of evolution of like consciousness. Whereas in other places in my life, I'm like, Oh, I totally get that. This, 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 but like when it came to this subject, I felt like so underdeveloped and she was like, you know what? I don't really think that's true because you've been able to sit here and speak from where you want to be at and not, not speak from this tiny voice. And, you know, it's just one of those programmings that is so deep around Mm self-worth, not being lovable, uh, body image, the whole, it's just one of those things that I honestly feel like the matrix has done a fucking incredible job at making us feel this way. And um, raising fellow humans to be, little people who are repeating the same thing, you know, who are essentially spewing out the same programming to their children, to, you know, whatever person. And so I'm sure actually most people would actually relate to 10 years ago. What would I tell myself? And it's, you are worthy. You are beautiful. You are, you know, these, what seem preliminary, but I think at the core, everyone like needs to hear I mean, I wouldn't have started with words that big because that would have shut me down completely. Like if you'd said worthy and beautiful, I would have got super uncomfortable and then probably not texted you back. Um, but, <laughs> but I would have like, but we could have started with like, you're just not that bad. Like you just, you just need to like back the fuck off on the self-loathing and stuff. Like the stuff you say to yourself is like aggressive bullying. Right. And sometimes when I'm working with people around this stuff, I, I find it really helpful to call it out for what it is. I'm like, that's what it is. It's like, when I know we tell ourselves that we're holding ourselves to a high standard and we're keeping ourselves accountable and we're being realistic about where we are. Most of the time, no. Most of the time we're being an absolute C-bomb. Most of the time we're, it is bullying by definition. We are trolling on the inside of our head. And it's like, I know that, you know, that that wording came from somewhere and it's not because you're a bad person. You just learned that this specifically is how you get loved. It's how you get changed. It's how you get parented. When our parents wanted us to do something different, many of us, got either shamed or manipulated into doing the thing they wanted. And unfortunately what we learned is not, Oh, my parents is shaming and manipulating me. What we learned is the way that I am managed 
Yes, I am. I, yeah. The way to parent me, the way I get taken care of, in inverted commas, right, is that I get shamed and bullied into doing the right thing. And then that voice carries on. And we don't even realize because it's just our understanding of quote unquote reality, right? And just who we are. Mm-hmm. Remember, that's the type of person I am, right? That's just who I am. I just, you know, I just have euphemism, euphemism, really high standards, right? No, I'm just a perfectionist. No, you're not. You're terrified. (laughs) Wow. On that (laughs) note. Okay, that's enough of that. I can feel that. Okay, you triggered a little bit. (laughs) I think most people listening to this episode can also identify with being a perfectionist. And I even actually called myself that yesterday where I was like, you know, I'm just a perfectionist when it comes to my work. So like, I don't want to post this until it's done, you know, the whole sabotage thing. So that's, that's pretty great. Um, Yeah, I would say I I really, I absolutely love that. And uh, more specifically around how so many people, I see this all the time. So many people are co-creating their reality from the lens of the wounded five-year-old, from the lens of the wounded six-year-old. And the thing is, you know, my whole thing is uh, how do you activate your most abundant timeline and, and really accelerate through it, right? And where I'm finding is that so many people don't actually know what their like most abundant timeline really looks like or how they want it to look like because they are projecting their desires from a place of the like what's possible for the wounded person here yeah absolutely the limitations of that identity and it's like but what could i have and it's like cool but what you're going to perceive you can have is still limited by those still the limiting it's the smorgasbord right like you've made the best possible dinner from what is it the smorgasbord but did you know other restaurants exist (laughs) (laughs) right wow did you know that there's a whole world out there (laughs) yes did you know that the 14 dollar all you can eat is not the only thing you can have (laughs) (laughs) so um where can people find you how can people work with you um, so they can find me at my website, sarahreillycoaching.com. My surname is R-E-I-L-L-Y, Sarah with an H. Um, I'm also Sarah Riley Coaching on Instagram. That's where I hang out the most. I do have a Facebook page, but I just find Instagram feels better these days. So I spend most of my time there. Um, and how can they work with me? Well, there's two options. I do still take private clients at this point. Um, and I work in three or six month blocks. Um, there, my contracts are quite short because I work quite fast. So if, you know, if you like your information, like a fire hose and you have a reasonable pain tolerance, we can go straight into it and shift you pretty quickly. That's what I like to say. Cause I don't want, I don't want anyone coming in thinking we're just gonna, you know, have the super positive motivational chit chat. It's like, no, no, Let's start with your parents. <laughs> like, let's get all the way into it. Um, or you can take my group program, which I run a few times a year. We're in round two right now. Um, and it's a six-week program. So I do teach the three components of Untouchable. But anyone listening to those three components was probably like, uh, I need supporting information. And you would be totally right. So, yeah, we do teach you how to redefine success your way. And I do teach you how to empower and communicate with your nervous system so it's on the side. And I do teach you how to change your programming. But all of that rests on your ability to have emotional mastery. So we do a week on that as well. It rests on um, your ability to reintegrate this new you into your current reality. So we do a week on that as well. And then there is a bonus week where I teach um, proprietary info on the program that debilitates pretty much everybody. It is the most insidious bullshit you've ever seen. And it has hit 
at one point or another or consistently everyone I've ever worked with. So I've done an intensive training on getting past that. And to be honest, if you don't want to come to a six week program, you're just like, no, I'll do one of those two hour trainings. If you picked that one, it would be worth the entire investment of the program. It, like that one on its own would change your life. So yeah. Oh, and by the way, all private clients get access to the group program complimentary. Um, once you're in my world at that level, you get to enjoy all of the goodies. So actually, you know what's so funny about that is Untouchable as a group program is really cost-effective. It's, it's a low-cost offering. And yet the amount of people that signed up for private coaching to get it for free, like infinitely <laughs> people that bought that. I was like, I'm going to offer this because it's the most life-changing information and put it at this incredible price point and people are going to love this. And then like, honest to God, like 75% of them were like, no, no, give me the high-end package and I'll just slide into that one. Questionable as well. <laughs> wow. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much for your time. All of her information and links and all the things will be in the show notes. So definitely check that out. Sarah, thank you so much for all of your magic, all of your wisdom, putting it together, packaging it for people to really move through. And uh, yeah, thank you for spending this time with us. It has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. I loved every minute of this conversation. This has been a blast. Hey, before you go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening. We know that sharing the wealth is the quickest way to be in the vibration of wealth. So if you're enjoying the show, it would be awesome if you screenshotted this episode and shared it to the world online. You can tag us at nataliegranja underscore and follow us on Instagram. That's all for today. See you in the most abundant timeline. Love your favorite Oracle, Natalie.